The reading today is Romans 6, 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self is crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that Christ, that since Christ was raised from the dead, we cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but, he, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as you have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Thanks so much, Jenny. Uh, good morning, all. Uh, my name is Matt. I don't think I've been introduced yet. If I haven't met you before, uh, welcome. But I'll have to chat afterwards and say hi. Uh, I wonder. I wonder. Um, is there anything about yourself you would like to change? Is there anything about yourself you would like to change? I suspect probably as we think about it, most of us would have something, maybe a few things. I, uh, as I think about it, I, um, I, I have probably the uh, Eucharist that we have here on Friday nights, and um, I've started to notice over the last last year or so that um, the youth are now beating me in the sport and the games we play, so I'd like to you know, get a bit fitter and a bit more flexible and be able to compete again. Um, that would be good. That's one thing I'd like to, like to change. Uh, I'd like to be a little bit better at getting going in the mornings. Uh, using my mornings more productively. Uh, I'd also like to get better at going to sleep at night quickly. I was scrolling on my phone for uh, too long, but probably got something to do with getting going in the mornings. Um, I shared a few weeks ago that I, um, I have a, a, a habit of having a little sweet treat most nights around 9pm. Uh, on one hand, I'd kind of like to get rid of that habit, but then on the other hand, I wonder if my life would actually be better. Maybe not. Um, pretty good part of the day. Uh, but there are things that are slightly deeper as well. I, um, I like to spend a little bit less time thinking about uh, what I could have and where I'd like my life to be and be just a little bit better at uh, being grateful and thankful for what I have in the present. Uh, I might actually say that that is something that at the core is actually sin, um, something the Bible would say is sin. I should actually be grateful for what God has given me and not always wanting more. And besides, I should be trusting Him um, with my future anyway. As I think about it, there's lots of other sin in my life that I should get rid of, ways in which I don't trust God like I should. 
some of those things are more subtle, some of those things are more blatant. Uh, the areas where I don't choose God's way and instead choose my own way. And we might ask, well, can we really change those things about ourselves? Is there hope to be able to conquer those things and start living for God, to start living how we want to live? Do we have the power to change? Uh, what would you change about yourself if you had the power to do so? Well, as we've been going through Romans these past few weeks, the big thing we have seen is we have been hearing about grace. Grace. Uh, today, as we come to Romans 6, I think Paul is saying that grace has the power to change us. And actually, he says that grace change us. Uh, we've learned lots about grace over the past few weeks, the grace revealed in Jesus and in the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. Grace comes to us as a gift. We don't earn it, we don't contribute to it, we don't deserve it. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. We heard back in Romans 5. Uh, last week we heard Paul talking about how grace overflows for the many. There's more than enough grace for everyone, uh, more than enough grace to pay for our sin, whatever our sin is. Uh, whatever we've done, whatever we will do, our sins uh, can be paid for in Jesus. And so then as we come to Romans 6, what we're looking at today, some uh, we, come to this, we come to this passage and we find Paul asking that question. Uh, some wonder whether this is maybe a question that the Roman church has been uh, has been grappling with, and maybe they've, they've sent a note to Paul asking him this question. I just think it's probably just an obvious question that it comes up as Paul makes his argument. It's kind of a question that's crying out for an answer, and so Paul asks it. Uh, if you've got your Bible in front of you, you can see it there, can't you, in Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go and sinning so that grace may abound? If grace is a good thing, if grace is free, if there's enough grace for everyone, if there's enough grace to deal with my sin, well then maybe then the logical thing is to go on sinning as much as I like. Uh, I think this is a little bit like, if you could imagine uh, this scenario, imagine, um, uh, imagine down on the Southern Expressway tomorrow they made an announcement that uh, this week, rather than enforce the 110 kilometer hour speed limits, uh, that they would have a week of enforcing speed limits based on grace. I wonder what speed you would go along the freeway. Uh, when we were driving along in Germany, where actually there were no speed limits, and you know, going 130 was kind of good start, and then uh, I think probably one time I got up to about 150, and that probably felt, okay, this is enough, I don't really need to go any faster than this. I can still remember you know, going 150 and still the BMWs and the Mercedes are screaming faster like the can still. Uh, what speed would you go if the if speed limits this week were based on grace. If it's about grace, uh, well, maybe I might as well just take as much as I can get. Right? Is that how it should be with the grace of the gospel? If there's more than enough grace for us, uh, maybe we should just take advantage and live however we like. But that's not what Paul says, is it? Verse 2, what does he say? By no means. By no means. And today we're going to see from these 14 verses that Paul says, Grace shouldn't just leave us where we are. Grace can change us, and grace should change us. Are there things about yourself that you'd like to change? Ways you don't live for God that you'd like to change? Well, Paul tells us today that because of grace, it's possible. He doesn't say change is easy. He doesn't say change happens quickly. It's not clean or simple. There's complexity, there's tension. Uh, we'll dig into a lot of that as we see what Paul has to say. But Paul does paint a picture for us today. A picture of the life of grace, and that he shows us that the life of grace is a changed life. Rather than live for sin, the life of grace means we can begin 
till we forgot that we could put that sin behind us. So what is this life of grace and how does it have anything to do with us changing? Well, I think a helpful way to uh, understand what Paul has to say to us in this passage is to notice that Paul talks about our life, uh, he uses, uses a lot of tenses, he talks about our life in the past, he talks about our life in the present, and he talks, us, uh, talks to us about our life in the future. But be more specific, uh, Paul shows us especially what our past is in Jesus, and he shows us too what our future is in Jesus. And so uh, I want to show us those two things this morning, our past in Christ and our future in Christ. Um, and then as you think about our past and our future, it reveals what it means to be in Jesus today, what it means to be in Jesus in the present, in between the past and the future. And then we'll do those things, and as you can see, we'll finish by asking that fourth question, how then should we live in Christ? Our past in Christ, our future in Christ, our present in Christ, how then should we live in Christ? Let's try and see the logic in what Paul has to say to us today. How should this life of grace change us. Well, it starts with our past in Christ. Uh, the tenses that Paul uses today, they are important, as I said. I remember from high school, the tenses, past, present, future, um, if you're really clever, you know about those other tenses as well, blue perfect and perfect tense. I'd say no any of those on me, they confuse me. Um, but we just need to notice in today's passage, uh, no less than six times, Paul talks about our past. And he makes it very clear that our past, if we're in Jesus, well, it means our past is almost like we've died with Christ in the past. Um, and this is how actually Paul asks, answers that big question in verse 2. He says, um, you, can, you can see it here, what shall we say then? Shall we go and sin that grace may increase? By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in any longer? That's our past. We've died to sin. We are those who have died to sin. That's part of Paul's base counter as to why we shouldn't go and sin, because our past is we have died to sin in Christ. <coughs> And yet we might ask, well, I don't remember dying. Uh, we can certainly say that we will die. No, I know we will die one day. We know people we have died, but I have not died. And I assume none of us here have died. What are you talking about, Paul? But actually, that's not quite what Paul's saying, is it? Notice the um, notice, notice passage, the past tense again and again. Verse 3 All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Past. We were, therefore, buried with him. We have been united with him in a death like his, or past. The old self was crucified with him. We died with Christ, verse 8. Again and again, Paul comes at home, kind of like Christians have died, but every time it's not just us, it's with Christ. Crucified with him, died with him, buried with him, united with him. This lines up with what Paul said in the last few chapters, we've already heard. Uh, that when Jesus died, our, our, the punishment for our sin uh, died with him, and our punishment was paid. It's like he died our death for us. And we, we've seen that our, when he rose to life, justified and glorified. It's kind of like we're with him too. It's like we're justified and glorified as well. Um, this is really one way of defining what a Christian is. We say to be a Christian is to be in Christ, uh, to be with him, to be united with him. We say to be part of the church is to be part of Christ's body, to be part of him. And if we're in Christ, it's kind of like his death was our death. It's kind of like in the past, we have already died to sin. Um, then let me just pause here and make a, um, uh, make a little point about baptism. Uh, you'll see there in the passage, um, Paul mentions a couple of times, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Uh, verse 3, we were therefore buried with him through baptism. Uh, verse 4. 
while since we've had a baptism here at church. Uh, getting baptised is something we do encourage all Christians to do. I dug up uh, this photo of me baptising Bree a couple of years ago. There's Bree. Hi Bree. Shout out to Bree. Uh, I remember this being a pretty great day. Uh, the best thing to say about baptism is that baptism is a sign or a symbol. Uh, that is to say we don't believe that it is baptism itself that uh, unites us to Christ, but baptism does symbolise and point us to that thing that we believe is already true. Uh, when I say baptism is just a sign or a symbol, I shouldn't really say just, because signs and symbols are very important and significant. Uh, but the question is, well, so again, what does baptism point to? What does baptism symbolise? Some will say actually baptism is more about uh, publicly declaring your faith, which I don't think is wrong, but uh, notice that in the passage today, Paul uses baptism to talk about being united with Christ. We were baptised into Jesus, we were buried with him through baptism. Uh, baptism here is pointing to us being in Christ, united to Christ. I think this is what we're showing when uh, Brie was baptised here a couple of, couple of years ago. She went down to the water, symbolising that her past is that she died with Christ, she was buried with Christ. And she came up out of the water, we didn't leave her there, she came up out of the water symbolising that as Christ rose from the tomb, it was like she was with him as well, she, she will rise. I think that's primarily what baptism is about, it's about being in Jesus, being united to him. Uh, this is a way for Bree to show, to be reminded that she's in Jesus. Uh, it's a way for us to know what it is to be in Jesus, and to see a visual sign, a symbol uh, that shows us that. Uh, now, by the way, here at Trinity Church Brighton, we are an Anglican church. Uh, if you didn't know, sometimes you may always make it obvious, but we are an Anglican church. Uh, this is why, when it comes to baptism, we actually uh, we believe that it's uh, okay to baptise babies. Actually, we believe that that's a good thing. Uh, because we believe that babies are part of Christ as well, because they're part of, uh, they're part of the church. Um, if they're part of a Christian family, and they're, they're here as part of that church, then we believe they're in Christ as well. So um, we're okay with baptising um, young babies, because we believe that they are united to Christ as well. And we believe that as they grow, they have to learn what it means to be part of Jesus, and uh, what it means to be part of the family of Jesus. We teach them the gospel, they'll uh, have to choose for themselves whether they trust the promises of God. But um, this is why we're happy to baptize these little babies, because we believe that they're in Christ, and we believe that baptism primarily points to um, what it means to be in Christ. And I realize that's quite fine point, but. Uh, Romans 6 is a bit of a go-to passage when it talks uh, about what baptism is. And it's, um, it's uh, of course, tricky to talk about baptism without doing a really long, comprehensive kind of um, thought on it. But um, just a couple of things I should say then before we move on from baptism. One thing is to say, um, one of the nice things about being Anglican is that while we, while we do kind of encourage babies and infants to, uh, who have Christian parents to be baptized, we say that that's a great thing. We also say, um, on the other hand, though, we also say that there's great freedom. I don't know lots of families here will and have chosen to hold up on baptism uh, to let their kids grow up and choose that step for themselves. Might do a dedication for a baby instead. Uh, we do have great freedom to choose to do that as well, which is really nice. Uh, we have all lots of things that are doing the same thing. We don't all have to completely agree on this one to share a great unity. Um, the other thing I would say is just one thing to be really kind of careful with just about as well, just to say baptism, we believe it's a sign and a symbol. Uh, we believe it's important, but we also believe it's not the thing that joins us to Christ in some sort of magical way. We don't believe that those kids who have been baptised are joined to Christ, whereas those kids who haven't been baptised are not joined to Christ. It's just as kind of two, two classes of people or anything like that. Uh, we don't believe that kids who have been baptised are part of our family, and the kids who haven't been baptised are not part of our family or anything like that. We don't believe it makes any difference in terms of someone's status. It's about 
whether they've been given the sign or the symbol. Um, that's what it's about. There we go, that's baptism. I think baptism is a great thing. Uh, it's a powerful sign and a symbol, and it's something I encourage um, you to take up if you haven't been baptized and you are a Christian. A great way of representing and showing the life of grace and showing uh, that we are united to Jesus. Uh, well, let's move to our second point then, because we've seen um, asking Christ that we were united with him in his death. Well, Paul also points us to uh, what the life of grace is in the future, our future in Christ. What is our future in Christ? Uh, well, Paul again says that a few times through the passage, um, verse 8, he says that, he says that as well in verse 5, which is probably clear. It's probably, yeah, um, verse 5 on the screen, so we can just um, look at it together. Um, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, past like his, we will, future, certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Our past in Christ, with him in his death, our sins dying with him, our future in Christ, we will rise to new life as he rose. Um, This is the remarkable claim of Christianity. We believe that Christians are those who are in Jesus. And if Jesus really did rise from the dead 2,000 years ago, well, this for us is the proof that we also will rise like he rose after our own deaths. This is the proof that that doesn't mean for Christians that we believe Christ 2,000 years ago rose as well. And this is why we believe that for us death doesn't rule, eternal life is what rules. And this again is what baptism represents, as we said, it's the coming out of the water. As in brief baptism, it points uh, to the rising to new life that we have in Jesus. And by the way, you have to look exactly um, like what we saw in that picture of Bree. Paul, a couple of times in the New Testament, um, also describes the Israelites who came out of Egypt and talks about how they came through the Red Sea. The story um, we looked at a couple of months ago as we were in Exodus, the Israelites and were coming through the Red Sea, coming out to the other side for freedom. Um, Paul also is happy to describe that coming through the Red Sea as baptism, coming out of slavery and coming to the new life as God's people. This is one of the things that baptism shows us our new life um, that we have in Jesus. I want a question that I have as Paul talks about this sort of thing in these verses. I wonder, um, I wonder what you think about this question. Is Paul saying that a new life is something we have now, or is he saying it's something for future? Because uh, it's actually a bit weird. You see it here in verse 5 we will be united with him in a resurrection life. It's very future, isn't it? Uh, it's very much something that's yet to come. But then you see verse 5, verse 6, and Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So the past, the old self was crucified with him, so that the body might be done away with. Paul seems to be saying that our bodies can be done away with. Because in Jesus, our death has already happened, and yet our resurrection hasn't happened yet. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Because I certainly have my same body that I've always had. Um, I've had my body for 35 years, a bit years now, and um, as I said, it's starting to get a bit older and a little bit um, sore, and it's a little bit harder to beat youth in games. Youth group on Friday nights, and some of you know a lot of you need the limitations of our earthly bodies. Uh, and it's not just a matter of physicality, is it? Paul is also saying here that these broken bodies are the, the bodies of sin, and our future in Christ is a future of resurrection, and our future where we'll have a new body, and we'll no longer have this body of sin, and sin will be put behind us. But then, because the truth part of it also seems to be that we've already died, and our bodies have already been done away with if we're in Christ. So it's just a little bit strange. We, we died to Christ, and we, we've done away with our bodies, but yet we haven't yet been resurrected, and we do still have our bodies. So it's a, it's a little bit strange, isn't it? I suppose it's stuck in this 
weird um, middle ground. Um, so let's see if we can make sense of that by thinking about our third point, our present in Christ. See what this picture gives us. If our past is dying with Christ, if our future is rising with the new life in Christ, well, what's our present? What does this mean for us in the middle? I think on one hand, Paul is saying that because of our past, because we've died with Christ, because our bodies can be done away with, I think he's saying that sin no longer rules us. I think this is probably what he's talking about. He says that bodies uh, are being done away with. Of we have them, but the sin doesn't control us anymore. That means that we live now in the present lives that are ruled by grace. That means that we do have the power to change, and we should change. We should say no to sin. We should live differently. We should live for Jesus. And because we're not ruled by sin anymore, we actually can do that. Our sins have died in Christ. They don't rule us anymore. We have the power to follow Jesus. I think this does mean that Christians can look at the world differently. We can see others around us always thinking about themselves and desperate to get ahead by any means necessary. And we can choose instead to live selfless and selfless lives and lives of integrity. We can face temptation and we can say no. We can choose the path of self-control rather than to be driven by anger. I can choose to be okay with what I have rather than always thinking about what I would like to have one day. Because of grace, we do have the power to change. But on the other hand, we fail that. We might feel frustrated because we might say, well, I've been trying to change for years. I've been trying to change for so long, I never seem to get anywhere. You say I have the power to change, but I can't seem to get over those bad habits. On the other hand, you could easily actually scoff a little bit at um, some of what we're saying. You, know, you say the Christians have the power to do good and just say no to sin. Well, let me tell you about some of the so-called Christians that have hurt me or failed before who are even worse sinners than those around them. What we need to say here is actually that Paul has not painted us a picture of sinless perfection. Paul's painted us a picture where the life of grace is a life in the middle, a life of tension. On one hand, we have died with him and no other rules over us. But on the other hand, our resurrection and our new bodies are something that we're still waiting for. Other like James um, Caterpillar and Tadpole, I think the kids talk today, I thought that was helpful. Um, I have a similar illustration. I think we could think of a butterfly. Um, as, as James said, the butterfly was once a caterpillar. Think of a caterpillar, the caterpillar is um, firmly trapped on the ground, isn't it? Gravity, gravity, gravity keeps the caterpillar firmly trapped on the ground. Um, in this example, you think of gravity a little bit like sin, but the, the all, um, all pervasive, all powerful influence of sin. The caterpillar has no, has no power to lift itself off the ground and to fly around and to fight back against sin. But when the caterpillar changes, gets into that little cocoon and comes out as a beautiful butterfly, suddenly the butterfly does have the power, doesn't it? To fight back against gravity. You can fly around, but gravity no longer has a hold on it. Of course, gravity does affect the butterfly, uh, but the butterfly can lift itself up. It, can, it has the power to fight back against gravity. Well, the Christian has died to sin, uh, means we have the power to fight against sin, like the butterfly now has the power to fight against gravity. But gravity still impacts us, and the butterfly, uh, gravity still impacts the butterfly, sin still impacts us, sin still impacts the Christian. Um, but we still find ourselves in our simple and broken bodies. 
just that now we do have power to resist it. And that butterfly picture is a healthy picture of the understanding tension, purposing, but not yet quite resurrected to new life. Well, what about our final point then? If this is the life of grace, well, this tension, how then should we live in Christ? Have a look with me uh, at Paul's last four verses in Romans. Uh, sorry, Romans 6. Have a look at the beginning of what he says here. Um, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey the evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. If the Christian life is a life of tension, dead to sin on one hand, awaiting our resurrection to new life on the other hand, well, Paul is encouraging us to think about where we want to be counted. Count yourself. Do we want to be counted in the old self? Do we want to offer ourselves back to wickedness and to sin? Do we want to count ourselves to sin, or do we want to count ourselves as alive to God in Christ Jesus? Do we want to offer ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, those who are there? I think Paul is saying is to make those everyday decisions about what we do and how we act and how we react. Paul is saying, well, this is a good thing to do, to pause, to ask ourselves, do I want to be thinking of myself as that old part of me? Do I want to be thinking of myself as that old part of me that actually has been put to death already? Or do I want to be living for my future self? Do I want to live for who I'll be in eternity? Do I want to start being that person now? Perhaps that's what we should do next time we're faced with temptation or next time we feel anger building up inside of us, pause and outside of ourselves. I've found that helpful this week, just to think about, do I want to be living for actually the part of me that has already died? Or do, you want, do I want to be living for the part of me that will be here for eternity? Uh, this gives us, I think, a powerful motivation for living well, for changing, for doing well, a powerful motivation to change. Other worldviews, of course, have reasons for doing good too. The secular worldview says that we should live well to make the world a better place. Um, we think to do Eastern religions, and actually lots of other people these days would say that um, we should live well because of some sort of karma thing. If we live well, then good things will come back to us. Uh, perhaps other religious views might, might say that we should do good because um, we, we, we want to have a good eternity. Lots of, lots of people would believe that there is some sort of heaven and hell. Of course, there's got to be a hell because there's got to be a place for people like Hitler to go. But for the rest of us, if we can just live pretty well, well then um, we can do kind of good and then we'll, we'll be able to enjoy eternity and go somewhere good in eternity. Um, but that's not the Bible's picture of the afterlife, is it? The Bible's motivation actually for doing good, as Paul has given, us, given it to us here, is that we should live now because we want to live for who we will be in eternity. It's not to earn our place, it's to live because that's who we are and that's who we want to be and so we want to live that way. In Jesus, we've been set free for sin. New life is ahead of us. So to go back and indulge and live in that sinful life that cannot be changed by grace uh, just doesn't make sense of the situation we're in. If we're free of sin, and we will be free of sin, but then let's not live for sin. It's maybe a little bit like thinking about maybe starting a new diet. Uh, if you maybe think at the end of the year, New Year's Eve, New Year's Revolution, maybe I'll start a new diet, I'll give up all the rubbish. Um, I'll start being clean. And maybe you might think, well, okay, 
I better eat all the things that I really love until December 31st. I better go get all the fast food, get all the fried food, just start, uh, that's pretty good, and I might just keep on going, I might pass January 1st actually. Maybe that would work, but I suspect, I'm no doubt, no doubt teaching, but I suspect I would say you're probably better off if you start making some sustainable, healthy choices now. If you really want to just sin now, live with sin, and then just wait till you die so, hey presto, I can start living to God. Because I think we're much better off looking for Jesus now. Starting to put aside our sin. After all, the Paul says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we be there any longer? Now, of course, in the tension of the life of grace, we shouldn't expect perfection. I don't think Paul expects perfection. None of us are perfect. I certainly um, have looked at that myself that I would like to change. I would have in previous weeks that God's love and grace isn't dependent either on how, we, uh, how well we do at putting sin behind us. If we're in Jesus, they're loved in grace, they're loved, loved unconditionally. Uh, but the same, 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 by the same token, I don't think we should be too defeatist either. Um, yes, there are Christians that do awful things. Um, yes, there are lots of bad examples. And yes, we won't find a perfect Christian. Um, but I think if you look throughout our church, I think you would find lots of great examples of what it does mean to live for Jesus. Um, I think you can do it in lots of ways. And so, how do we do that more and more? I think we do it by looking to grace. By looking to the gospel, we've gone deep in the gospel these last few weeks of church. I think the more we go and understand grace and reflect on that grace, the more we live the life of grace. I think we need to be reading God's word, coming to church, being in fellowship with other Christians, praying. I don't think we should expect that we can just kind of throw us in just on our own by trying harder. To put it another way, if you're not coming to church regularly and you don't read the Bible for yourself, and if you're not in fellowship with other Christians, and you don't pray, I wouldn't probably be surprised if you don't find yourself changing very much. But as you do live together, and as you do do those things, and as you remind each other of who we are in Jesus, as you remind each other of who we will be in Jesus, who we, who we will live for in eternity, well, I suspect we will start to find ourselves slowly but surely changing and living more and more for that life to come. Um, we should also, by the way, uh, ask God to work in us by His Spirit. I haven't mentioned the Holy Spirit at all this morning, and Paul doesn't mention it at all in our passage today either. Uh, Paul doesn't mention Him in our passage today either. Um, but as Paul deals with darkness, we'll see over the next few chapters, this is one of the big things that Paul is going to talk about the role of the Spirit in the ongoing life of the Christian, particularly one of the days, uh, which we're going to spend three weeks on in a few weeks' time. But I think for now, the encouragement from Romans 6 is to look to grace, look to who we are in Jesus. Look to who we are in Jesus in the present, in the past, sorry. Uh, by grace, we have died with him. Sin doesn't have power over us anymore. It has been paid for, it has been defeated. We can look to the future, look to who we will be in Jesus in eternity. We're going to be raised, we're going to live with him with our new bodies, we're going to live with him for eternity. And as we look at those things, our past and our future, well, we can do that now, and we won't live perfectly with these bodies in the present, they're still affected by sin. But we can now. We by grace. We can now choose to live for the life to come. And with his help, that's just what we will do. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us as we go about living for him. And then we're going to sing, we're going to sing a great song that actually will continue that prayer. It's a song praying to God and asking for his help as we seek to live for him more and more each day. And so let me pray for us. Um, Father God, this is a challenging passage. Um, help us to know the truth that we've seen today. Help us to know that we are in Jesus, that we are those who have died to sin, 
Hoppers therefore not going to live in sin any longer. Help us to know what we will be and we will by the King of Jesus. And help us to live that way now. Uh, we don't follow that none of us are perfect, none of us live without sin. And so we thank you for your forgiveness. And we ask that as we go forward, we ask for your strength, for your grace, for your help, as we go about trying to live for Jesus. And in his name we pray this morning.